Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's the last day of Hanukkah, and I really shouldn't do this. I'm throwing in an extra podcast this week, only because of a funny confluence of circumstances, as you'll see in a second. And I'm doing a dafka on this last day of Hanukkah. A bunch of coincidences, I guess, uh, uh, came together. But I really have to watch myself, because otherwise I'll get into this too much, and I just don't have the time. Right now, if you were in my room, you'd see 100 books and stuff piled all over the place. This open, that open. It, I shouldn't be indulging this. However, I cannot forbear, and here we go. Um, I was in Shul, and Rabbi Shimon Levin, one of my congress, a friend of mine, said, today's the Chavez Yor, and uh, the art side of the famous uh, Posek, I guess, a responsive writer, and I said to myself, ding, that's what I can do, because the other names didn't appeal to me, and right off the bat I thought, okay, later this week, not today, I'll do the Chavez Yor. Uh, who was in the 1600s, and, you know, classic, very, very interesting personal uh, uh, story, and uh, definitely not one, definitely a unique character. However, that's not what I'm doing right now. As I was thinking about the Chavis so it came across to me that the reason he called his book the Safer, Shalos and Tubas Chavis was after his grandmother. And his grandmother was a famous Talmud Chacham, of yesterday, I'm sure nobody knows anything about. Uh, this is the granddaughter of the Maral. The family of the Maral is this unusual in this regard that they had these women who knew Gemara like the Rosh Hashivas. I'm not exaggerating. Sounds like I am, but I'm not. And I am going by memory, so I may be a little bit off here, but I don't think I am. The Maral himself... Uh, as I mentioned in a podcast some time ago, I know I did somewhere along the line about uh, a podcast about the Maral, had a very unusual wife. He waited for her for many, many years. They had all these adventures together, and by the time they married, he was like, she was 29, I remember. He was in his 30s. So that was really unusual. And they had a bunch of kids, uh, mostly daughters. And one of the reasons he, listen, I wasn't there. I never met her. Per- Perla, Pearl, her name was Pearl. But one of the reasons... He was, uh, center was, uh, she seemed to have been a, a, not only a very smart person, but, but no, was very learned. Now, I don't know how that happened, but, uh, you know, she was, uh, you know, especially for women in the 1500s, you know, someone knew a fair amount. But here's more importantly, I said most of his kids, if I remember correctly, I should look it up, but you, you, you'll do the trouble, you look it up. I think he had six kids, of which five were girls. I think that's how it goes. Uh, or maybe four, and being the morale, like I said, I wasn't there. But this is this. I'm just telling you what I think, what I conjecture. Being the morale, he couldn't help but learn with them, and as a result, some of these became like big Talmud Chachamim. After all, just think what I just said: the morale is your father. Plus, he's Mister Systematic Learning, meaning not just Yeshiva style, but first you do this, and then you do that. First you do the Chumash, the Tanakh, and all that, and then you do, uh, you know, the Mishnayos, and then so on and so forth. And so the result is that uh, 
he had these girls who had uh, an unbelievable education. I'll be like, I said before, it's a tutorial by a father who's a morale. And uh, very solid. And I remember he had a daughter, Fagy, I, I think the name was. And uh, she was very big, blue menace. But then she had a daughter, or maybe it was a granddaughter. I think it was a daughter. Uh, who, yeah, daughter. Says to be a grand, uh, uh, whose name was Chava. And she grew up in that household, or maybe the next generation, she married a big rabbi and so forth and so on. Very unusual character, Chava Bachrach. You can go look her up. And uh, again, learning with her father and her uncle and the grandfather and so forth, I don't know, because she was still born in the 1500s, in the 1580s, I think, when the morale was still around, but Tokfob. And so she became like a Bucky Bashas and Postkim. I know it sounds funny to say it, but this is what they write. I'll say it again. She was a bucket of shots and postgame. People, she she was sitting in base manners and, uh, you know, she, what do you call it? A sholomashev for the guys, like in the uh, in Prague. It's unbelievable. And later on, she married a guy, another was there for a son-in-law, and uh, he was a rabbi, and, you know, she assisted him, and he used to consult her on halachic shilas. Uh, like I say, I am realized how wild it is. That's why I'm sharing this with you, but I'm doing it today for a reason. And uh, she was really something. And then her husband died. They were married, I remember, for 15 years. And Ed, so she was like 30 when the husband died. And she got offers right and left, and she turned them all down. She was that type of a person. She turned them all down. Uh, but she accompanied her husband. So this would be the grandfather of the Chavis That's my point. Uh, when he became a rabbi in Worms, which is a very, fam- Vermeise, a very famous old Kahila in Germany on the Rhineland. And I'll, tomorrow or the next day, when I get around to the regular podcast with Chavis here, I'll talk about that. Worms is a very, very old, distinguished kahila, but it was in bad shape in the 1600s. They had like 20 families altogether. Just think about that. And she gave drushes into show, and she paskin shows, all this wild stuff. And that's who the Chavis here grew up with, having this kind of a bubby, uh, which is quite a remarkable story. And... Uh, she, I remember she turned that old Yishidukim to Shlaw, believe it or not, wanted to marry her, and she turned him down. It's famous. And he said, this is a great disappointment in my life, or some words to that effect. Lozachisi, you know, something, or whatever. So she must have been really something. Uh, which is why the grandson, many decades later, after her death, when he published his famous collection of Shalos, she was called the Chavis His name was Yair. And he said, I don't want a name for my grandfather. Uh, for my grandfather. He also was a great person. I want a name for my grandmother. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you find these uh, famous form, rarely, that they're named for the woman, not for the man. It, it happens once in a while. I'll give you an example that comes to mind. Uh, the, what do you call it? The uh, note of Yehuda, he covered both bases. The note of Yehuda is named after his father, Yehuda. But the Tzlach is named for his mother, Chaya. You understand? It's like that. Today, these are women who made a great impression on the children. So when they publish things, they put their name in there. Now, I'm not here just to titillate. The Hamza B, like I say, last day of Hanukkah, so I figure I'll, I'll just throw it in there. And the reason is because, uh, I'm not going to do justice subject, but I'll just share it with you. There's a famous Indian that women don't work. There's a minute, nobody knows where it comes from. The women don't do work when the candles are burning. You've heard of that. Uh, and it's widely practiced. What exactly is the Gedarm of the Malacha? That's for the Shalos and Jewish books. But nevertheless, uh, as we all know, during the 30 minutes or so, the candles burning is very widespread. Minhug. Uh, what about if candles go longer? So here you have, you know, let's put it this way. There are very interesting customs regarding malacha for the women on Hanukkah down the centuries. And the postkim have debated this, I mean, many, many centuries. 
so for example, at one extreme, there was a minute, an old, old minute, no women don't work for eight days. Hear what I said? It's a whole week. Uh, it's like a yantav. In fact, it's more than a yantav, because yantav, yeah, chalamite. Here, it's all eight days. Uh, now, I don't know if they defined work exactly, you know, so narrowly, but they defined it fair, fairly narrowly. And uh, that's always been a hot item among the postkim. It's not a good idea for people not to work, women not to work for eight days, batola maybe, they shimum, and so on and so forth. You have this discussion in the in the postkim. Uh, and by the time you get to the later 17th century, there's a famous Chacham Tzvi, where he deprecates this and all that. But, you know, if you get to what you and I call the normative halachic literature, by the time you get the Mishnah Bura, let's put it that way, they say, oh, no, it's not a good idea that women should work for eight days, just during the 30 minutes or so when the candles are burning. But there were other minhagim also. And, uh, for example, our ancestors liked to have very long candles, you know, hid their mitzvah, Back in the old country, especially in Ashkenaz, and what if they burn till chatzos? No, then the women don't don't work till chatzos. No, it's all Hanukkah night. You know what I'm saying? Like for five, six o'clock, down till uh, you know the candles burn for six hours, and the women didn't work. It's just a different atmosphere. I guess they had sudas, Hanukkah, Masibas, whatever they did. Uh, and others say that's not right. So this already you look like I say Mishnah Bura, You see those kinds of things. But uh, listen to this. There's a very famous safer called the Kolbo. I'm sure you've heard of it. And he talks about the fact, you know, and Kolbo's written, I don't know, in the 1100, 1200s, we don't know exactly. And uh, he says that it's a bad idea. Uh, that, uh, how's it go? I'm going to look it up. Cuss of Russia, Millennial, he's quoting the safer harmonic, which is Mamish Middle Ages. Shinogo, I'm Nashim, Lolas, I'm that they don't work as long as the candles are burning until the candles burn out. Uh, and he says, why? That's because if they work, they might use the light, right? And anyway, as a general hakara, and in other words, one is that they should recognize that it's and the other one is they might end up using it. Uh, if you go like that, the Kolbo says, then it's wrong, this custom of the women. Now this is from the from the Sefer Amonic. I mean, we're talking early, early Middle Ages in southern France, that it's a mistake that the women have a minute that they don't work all eight days, so that's how old the minute is. And Batola, having uh, time in your hands and doing nothing is deprecated. And and Vyeshnoshim, and he goes on to say to Kolbo, Betelos, Yom Rishim, Yoshmini, and some women had a custom to treat it like Mamashi Yantif. No, it was Cholomoy's in the middle, you know. So they didn't do work on Yom Rishon, and today, I'm speaking to you on the last day of Hanukkah, so it's Hanukkah, and, and they're admitting not to work all day long on the last day of Hanukkah. But Dailem Bezekin didn't So he's trying to be, uh, what's the right word, uh, make a Bshara, uh, a compromise, and say, if you're going to have such a custom, just do it on the first day. Just refrain from work on the first day and on the last day. And the middle days, like Cholomod, you can do work. Anyway, that was the standard business. Now, I'll tell you something funny. There are those who say that the Kolbo, you're going to be shocked when I'm going to tell you. There are those who say that the Sefer Kolbo is written by a woman. <laughs> you know? Uh, if you look it up, I think the Shalshal is like a bola. Back in the 16th century, it said that the, 
is that the, that the author of the Kolbo, which is all these Ashkenazim and Nogim, is written by women. Um, I'm not saying that's true, but, you know, it's funny. Now listen to this. The Chavis Yor, who I'll hope to speak about tomorrow, Wednesday, when I have time, got to finish my lecture first, um, says, you know, he wrote a book also on, on the uh, Shulchan Aruch, like a competition. It's supposed to be competition like on the Mogan Avram. We'll talk about that later. And he says over there, Yesh Makomas Bishah, the women don't work. When the Od Shaneris Dolkos, Yesh Makomas Kolayom, some say that the women don't work all day. And he, I know the Kolbo is opposed to this, and it's enough, the Kolbo says, only when the candles are burning, like I said before, it could be a couple hours, maybe all the way, all evening, if it's long candles, then they don't work, but during the day and all that, then then the candles should work. I'm sorry, then the women should be able to do melacha. And the Chavasiyar goes on to write, V'isha chachama heshiva, the Kolbo said that, but a very wise woman uh, retorted to the Kolbo, but don't call yom. That you're wrong. That in Shul, in Mainz, in other words, in some places in Germany, old, old, old Minig Ashkenaz, the custom was that the candles burned 24-7. What do I mean by that? This is this is known if you, are, I mean, not that you should need to know this, I'm talking about super yekesha. Minhugim over here, like, uh, you know, but there are old Minhug books like Yosef, Yasbet, Cohen, and all those guys back in the 1500s that they write very detailed the uh, Minhugim of old Germany. I'm talking about the Rhineland, the old, 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 old Gekis, and, I mean, long, long ago. And in Worms and other places, the the way it went was like this. You lit the candles in Shul, for example, the first night of Hanukkah, like everybody does, you know, between Michemarev. But they're very, very long candles. This was their shtick. And those candles were not blown out when Shul was over. They, I guess they just took their chances on the fire marshal. And the candles burned all night. And the candles burned the next day too. And sometimes the candles burned 24 hours until they burned out. And sometimes past 24 hours. And so the old svarim about the old Yekashim and Hugim is that uh, you have the candles burning eight days as I just said before, what do I mean? Again, let's say they lit the first night the candles. And let's say they were very long candles. Very, very long candles. So by the next night, meaning the, the, the next day, the second night of, of Hanukkah, between Mincha, Meir, and Shul, they would take the burning candle, still burning, from the menorah, that's the job of the shamas, and put them, you know, collect them and put them in a special, I say, small menorah on the side in the front of the shul, and then they would put in brand new uh, candles and light them with a bracha a second night. And uh, the same thing the third night, fourth night, and all the way through Hanukkah. So the, de facto, the candles are burning 24-7. And uh, he doesn't say why, but I mean, it's kind of obvious to me, that minhug must come from a certain aesthetic sensibility that you're literally uh, reliving the, uh, the uh, original uh, nace of Hanukkah in which the candles are burning 24-7. Now there, of course, obviously it was a miracle. Here it's different, but nevertheless, you get the aesthetic of feeling that whenever you go into the shul, which is like the Rosh Hashanah of the Jewish community, um, then you find the candles burning. So this Isha Chacham of this learned woman, the Chavazir says, retorted to the Kolbo, he says, you say the women should only work when the candles are burning. Well, 
in a lot of places, the candles burn 24-7. That's the source for the custom that the women don't work for eight days, all eight days. So, now this Isha Chacham is his grandmother. You understand? This is Chabas here talking over here. That's his grandmother. And you won't find this in the post you find in the in his uh, safer, what's it called? The, uh, uh, oh, what's it? Makor Chaim on the uh, Shulchan Aruch, which is, was reprint, reprinted, you know, or maybe I should say printed in some form back in the 70s. I remember when I was in Yeshiva. Uh, it's around. Maybe it's on Hebrew books for all you know. You go look it up if you're interested in following this through. And it's really fascinating because um, she's re- reflecting the, the uh, what shall I say, the, the social reality that you found at that time in uh, in Germany. Uh, now, I looked just now in the, in the Magan Avram, they don't, they don't bring this. This you'll find only in the Chavaz Yar. Uh, but if you follow that custom, here you have a retort <laughs> from a female, which you don't usually see in the rabbinical literature, uh, about uh, a minute that was apparently practiced. I don't know where that the women refrain from work all eight days, uh, and it's in connect and, and it was said in connection with the grandmother of the Chavaz In his sefer, he has an introduction. And he says, I named it after my grandmother, and she was this big Tamachacham, and so on and so forth. And she, I'll just read you a little bit, and then I'll close this down. Because what I say today is simply a little bit of an appetizer for the next time. I just didn't want to pile this 15 or 20 minutes onto whatever I say about the Chabas Not that I have any idea what I'm say about him yet. And at the end of the intro, it's kind of long here, he talks about, Bukharti od B'Shem Zev, I call the Bukhavis Leos Lamas Keres Tov Lizakenti Achasid Amaris Chavit, and named after my grandmother. Ruuya Hilakach, and she was the real, she was worthy of it. Not only he said that she come from super big Yichus, I just told you she's the Maral's, you know, granddaughter and all that. Uh, but she herself, Hemisad Limuda, but she was so uh, learned. She was a Yachid, she was unique in the generation. Those, as we would say today, she's the exception and proves the rule. Now here in the Kayeshayel Medrash Rabbi Pirish, and I remember my grandmother had a, a Medrash Rabbah. Remember, she knew Shas and Poskim. That's what they say. Right? I didn't say it, they said it. So, uh, which is weird. I mean, I'm talking about Shas and Tubas even. So, uh, Medrash Rabbah bleep Pirish. She had a, a Medrash Rabbah without any of the fruit salad, without any of the commentaries on the side. I like it also that way. And she learned it on her own. And she came up with her own interpretations of the Medrash Rabbah. And she didn't, and then she would compare it what's written in the commentaries on the side. And she disagreed with the commentary on the side, the Matnas Kahuna, very often. And she gave a different shot. In other words, there's a Medrash Rabbah, it says this way, and the Matnas Kahuna says this is the shot. And she said, No, it is nothing. That's the shot. And her grandson says, And and then anybody who heard her shot knows that he, she had a better shot than the Matnas Kahuna and the Menashavo. And uh, he says, I copied a few uh, uh, lines here. And she had similar things on the, you know, commentaries on, on Tfilos and on Rashi, Chumash Rashi, and on the Tanakh, as we say, my goodness, you know, on Targum Yonis, on the Targum this, that, and the other, Usfarm Chitsonium. And a lot of times, big rabbis had a problem with some Shiloh, 
As she entered into the spot, you don't know, like, like that's a, a double pastas. She had a perfect divrit, the she could express herself. Plus, she was super from. And so on and so forth. So, since today was the last day of Hanukkah, and since I'm planning to do the Chavis I'm hoping to, and since this is such an unusual story, because you don't usually hear about famous learned women, uh, this is, uh, uh, well, like I say, exception proves the rule. Uh, and, and associated with the Morales family, uh, so I thought I'd share it with you. That's my way of saying have a happy end to Hanukkah and whatever your minig is, uh, you know, now you have uh, an idea of what you, I'm talking about the women doing work, then you have an idea what to base it on. Have a good Hanukkah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.